Well, we are in a new series, Kings and Queens, and I want to preach a message to you in the second week of this series called The Queen Who Changed Everything. You know, I think about the kings and the queens in the Bible that God used to write laws, to set people free. But there was one royal person in particular that would change an entire nation, that would save an entire people group. She was a shadow of what King Jesus would be to come. And today we're going to talk about Queen Esther. Queen Esther. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Esther chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're turning there, let me just say this. Some of you in the room, you go, you know, what, what would I learn from Queen Esther? What could I learn from these kings and queens in the Bible? First of all, so much. But second of all, the truth is, all of us in this room, we are royalty. You are kings and queens. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He says, you are not like the world. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. In other words, you're part of the royal family of God. You're a holy nation. You are set apart. You are his own special people. And you have been called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're royalty. You're royalty. Yeah, yeah, you've got royal DNA inside you. And so as we look at that, this is how Esther lived. The story of Esther, the book of Esther, is really about a girl who believed, I have a calling on my life, and I'm going to fulfill that calling. The story of Esther is a story of leadership. It's a story of, of how God uses unique, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Esther was just an ordinary girl, but God used her in an extraordinary way. Esther is really like a Cinderella story. She wasn't supposed to be the queen. In fact, there was another queen before her that was the wife of the king. But somehow, God opens the door for Esther. Did you know in, in, when the Bible was being uh, formed together, they were picking all the books that people had written during the times of the Bible. And there was a group of scholars, theologians, and they were looking at the story of Esther and they said, uh, maybe we shouldn't put this book in the canon uh, for people to call as part of the Bible. And here's why. They said the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Yeshua, Yahweh, uh, Jesus, there is no mention of God. And if you are pharisaical and, and strictly legalistic, you will miss God in the story. His name is not in the book, but his hands is in every verse. He's orchestrating every chapter. He may not be mentioned right now. And in your life, God's behind the scenes. Oftentimes, he's setting things up, and you don't even know it was him. He's removing people out of positions, and he's bringing people into positions. And so we look at Esther chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of King Xerxes that he had 27, um, um, uh, we would call them 27 provinces that he oversaw, 27 states. This man was in charge of many people from Ethiopia to India. In fact, he, he oversaw the Persian Empire. This was when Israel had lost their power. The kings of Israel had really forsaken God and had chased after other idols, other gods. They prostituted themselves to all kinds of idolatry. And when they sought the other gods, they lost their power. Your power is connected to what you worship. When you worship God, you receive God's power. But when you start worshiping everything else but God, you start becoming weak, tired. You just you can't last through the day. You get weary in a prayer service, a church service. You're going, oh, I'm tired. I just want to go eat at Applebee's. And when you start worshiping God, you get your strength back. As long as Israel worshiped God, they were strong. But when they started worshiping other idols, they lost their strength. 
But I'm looking at a, a group of kings and queens in the room today who are sitting in God's presence. And Isaiah said, those who wait upon the Lord, even youths grow tired and weary. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not faint. They will walk and not be weary. See, God wants to give you supernatural strength this year. And so the Persian Empire, they were powerful from a secular standpoint, and mainly because the nation of Israel had lost their strength. They were captives of war. They were in exile prisoners of war. Esther was not even mentioned in Esther chapter 1. Her story is kind of forming in this chapter. But the king of this Persian empire, which would be modern day Iran right now, he has a party. For 180 days, he throws this huge celebration. And it says in verse 10, he was so excited, so happy, having a great time at his party, that he invited his wife to come. And he says, um, go get my wife and, and go get her to come to meet with me. In verse 11, they went to go summon Queen Vashti. Go bring Queen Vashti before me and tell her to wear her crown. So the king's excited. He wants to show off how beautiful his wife is. And, um, and he's, he's like having a big party. He's got all of his staff there, his interns, his friends, all of the family members. He's going, hey, listen, my wife is on her way down the hallway. She's beautiful. And as he's saying this, there's a guy in the back going, she's not coming. Stop. She's not. She doesn't there was drama in the royal family. And so the king, he's like, she's coming. She'll be here any second. Get Queen Vashti now. And Queen Vashti, watch this in verse 12, she refused to come at the king's command. Now, whether you uh, agree with this or not or disagree with this, God was going to use this drama in this relationship to open the door for Esther. When one door closes for someone, another door opens for another person. And I wonder... I wonder if the story of Esther would have ever been written if Vashti showed up. I actually wonder what would be on the other side of Vashti showing up. I think this year half the battles that you will win will be because you just showed up to the battle. Because oftentimes we just are living in this culture of I just don't feel like showing up. I don't feel like coming to church. Paul, it snowed one-eighth of an inch here in Tulsa. So, you know, can't get out on the streets. It's like Montana out there. There's an eighth of an inch in front of my driveway. I just don't feel it's cold. I just want to eat my mac and cheese. I don't feel like paying attention. I don't feel like doing my homework. I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like. And what I love about the story of Esther is she overrides her feelings with her faith. I got a question for you today. Who's sitting in the steer wheel of your life right now? Like who's steering the direction of it? Is it your feelings or is it your faith? For Vashti, it was her feelings. Her feelings caused her to forfeit her destiny. If you were going to label uh, Queen Vashti as anything, you, you could call her the queen who refused to show up. The queen who lost everything. She lost her royal position, not because she wasn't pretty enough, not because she wasn't powerful enough. It's simply because she didn't feel like showing up. And I'm telling you today, God's looking for people who will have a servant's heart to say, I will show up whether I feel like it or not. I will honor people whether I feel like it or not. You never go wrong when you honor other people. You never go wrong when you choose to do the right thing, even when your feelings tell you do something else. Vashti gave into her feelings. And watch what happens next in verse 13. It says, the king consulted the men who understood the times. Who understood the times. Do you understand the time that we're living in right now? That's what it's going to come down to this year. That's what it's going to come down to to fulfill the dream that God has on your life. You've got to have an understanding of the time that we live in. Timing is so important and understanding the season that you're in. The pinnacle verse of Esther 
is, is shaped by these words for such a time as this. And you see the word time all through the book of Esther. Time, time, time. Because it's constantly going. It's ticking right now. You're sitting in church. It's ticking right now. Every time you watch ESPN, every time you zone out, you go on Instagram, time, time, time. And these men, they understood the times they were in, and they understood what was important. What's most important to spend your time on? And they said, King, you need to understand that Vashti, she's not just dissed you. Like, as her husband, she's dissed our entire nation. We were here to serve. We were here to celebrate what got, what, what's happening in our country, and she didn't want to show up. And here's what you need to know about Vashti. She was throwing her own party while her husband was throwing his. She wasn't using her royal position to serve the people or serve her husband. She was using it to serve herself. And because of that, she forfeited her destiny. And so in the next few verses, they say, you need to do something different. You need to find a queen who's not just beautiful on the outside, but who's beautiful on the inside. And God was preparing Esther for such a time as this. And so we see in chapter 2 that the king and all of his provinces, they prepare a beauty contest. They tell Vashti, your days of queen are over. The king decides, and whether you like that or not, God's about to use a secular king who makes a secular decision to bring about a divine providential plan. Do you believe that God can use secular kings to do heavenly things? Do you believe that God is powerful enough to use someone you don't see eye to eye on about every single thing he says or does, but God can still move in and through do we serve a big enough God who can move through secular kings and queens? Because here in this story, this is what we see is Esther chapter 2, she finds herself in a strange place. The king puts on basically like the bachelor, the bachelorette on ABC. He lines up like a beauty contest. Has, I've thought about doing this for the singles in our church. I want to set up some of my best friends who are still single, and I want to get them married. And so I'm trying to, trying to line it all up right here. I just want, I'm a matchmaker. I just want to get you guys all connected with the right spouse for each other. We could, we could create a victory dating app for you guys. <laughs> Sorry, my personality is getting into this sermon. Let me get back to the Bible here. So the king throws a beauty contest, and he says, let's bring in the most beautiful girls, and then let's, let's have them go through a preparation time. And after that preparation time, they will each have a date with the king, and then the king will choose which one will become the queen. And so Esther is chosen. Now, Esther was an orphan girl whose parents had died, and she was adopted by Mordecai, who was an older cousin of hers, and he had found her when she was a little girl, took her into his custody, raised her. Praise God for foster parents, for moms and dads that are adopting orphan boys and girls and saying, hey, you can come into our house. I just, I'm thankful for those of you in this church that have a heart to bring in, uh, you know, to adopt and to adopt foster children. And so Mordecai does this. He raises Esther as if she was his own daughter, and he cares for it. He loves her. And when the day comes where Esther is requested to go into this, basically this training program to see if she could become the future queen, it says that Mordecai would stand outside the king's palace day after day, pacing, looking after Esther. He was like a concerned father. Like when my dad um, uh, was raising our, uh, like my older sisters, anytime a boy asked my sisters out on a date, my dad would go out there. He'd say, you better be home by 10 p.m. You got to take Paul and John with you on the date. We were like, yes, free dinner, free movies. And we were like, we get to choose the movie. We're going to Flintstones, you know. <laughs> my sister would just roll her eyes. Do we have to take my little brothers? My dad was like, yes. Come on, that was a good Mordecai right there. Looking out for little Esther. So we'd be sitting in the back seat. We'd be like, get your hand away from my sister. 
don't you try to, you know, <laughs> we were sitting back there. But, but I think about how someday when I'm a dad, or well, I am a dad, someday when my, when my baby girl is like a teenager and, and she's like, and boys from our church are trying to date her, I'm going to be that dad on the front porch with a shotgun, just walking, pacing back. I'm going to be a Mordecai. Be like, don't you mess with my girl. Okay, back to the sermon here. So Mordecai is looking out for Esther. Esther is in this program. And there's characters in this story you need to know about. Like anytime I'm watching a movie, I'm trying to figure out who should I pay attention to here? Who are the characters that I should really be studying here? And so I want to introduce you to some of these characters. First character that we need to look at is uh, Mordecai. <laughs> don't, don't judge me. When I read my Bible, I picture movie actors as certain people. Morgan Freeman is just a good Mordecai, okay? I also think this other picture of Morgan Freeman makes him look a little bit more like Mordecai. He's got the dreads. He's just looking out for her. <laughs> now, let me tell you something about Mordecai. Mordecai had influence with the next generation. If you're going to have influence with the next generation, you got to follow how Mordecai lived. Number one, he had relational equity. He spent time with Esther. I hear, I hear people going, man, I just want to mentor some of these young kids, but they won't even listen to me. Well, it takes time. you got to spend time. you got to invest time with someone before you can have influence over them. And we're, we're a church of Mordecai's and Esther's. We're not just a church for Esther's and not just a church for Mordecai. We want all generations functioning together, working together, learning from each other. So Mordecai had relational equity with Esther. He had wisdom, right? Mordecai, he was content being the wise advisor, even though he wasn't in the spotlight, he would tell Esther, here's what you should do. How to be a successful queen. How to win favor with the king. How to win favor with the king's staff members. Thirdly, he had concern. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And at the end of the day, if we aren't concerned for one another, then we have no right to be trying to offer advice to people. So his concern opened the door to her listening to his wisdom. And fourthly, he provided her with courage. And the next generation is just looking for a Mordecai that would say, you can do it. You've got what it takes. You're beautiful inside and out. You are here for such a time as this. Mordecai offered Esther courage. I'm standing on this stage today because my grand-grand, my mom, my dad, Donald, so many of you in this church have said, Paul, I'm praying for you. You got this. Who could you say that to this week? What Esther in your life is waiting for your words of courage Courage doesn't cost you anything. You can encourage someone every week. You can breathe courage into people just by saying you've got. In fact, yesterday I went to my son's basketball game, and they took a couple of shots. They didn't make any of their shots. But I was on the sidelines giving two thumbs up saying, you got this, Liam. You got this, Benaiah. You can do it. They were so thankful for a daddy that was cheering them on. Do you know how many absent fathers? And there's boys and girls. Just like Queen Vashti, she just didn't show up. And I wonder how many people just won't show up because they don't feel like it. And there's boys and girls going, does anybody believe in me? Does anybody see any potential inside of me? This is who Mordecai was. And here's the crazy thing. Mordecai would go on to save the nation of Israel and never be thanked for it. They would thank Esther. Still to this day, the Jewish people celebrate Esther. But if it wasn't for Mordecai, Esther would never have gotten the credit. Are you comfortable helping people who will never realize it was you? Mordecai was a great assistant pastor. He was behind the scenes, but my God, was he saving the king and the queen from disaster. Mordecai would be used by God in extraordinary ways, and he was comfortable 
Let's give it up for those who are comfortable behind the scenes. Those who serve not in the spotlight. There's a lot of them in this church. There's a lot of Mordecais that are offering prayer and hope and courage and service. And that's what God's looking for is just servant leaders. The second character you need to know from this story is Esther. Now, Esther didn't start off. <laughs> Esther started off as a teenage girl, like Mia Thermopolis from Princess Diaries, okay? All right, so she was like, I know there's a calling on my life. I just got to go through the process, right? There's always a process before the promise comes to pass. And so what, what Esther would go through is she would go through a preparation time. You know what's crazy about that movie? This girl didn't even realize the royal DNA that was inside her until the day came where it was revealed, you are a daughter of the king. Some of you in this room have no clue. You have so much more value than you see in yourself. You may not see it. You might look at the mirror and think, I'm not that pretty. I don't have a, a, a calling on my life. I come from a poor family. I'm an orphan girl. But God sees so much more inside you. He sees a calling on your life. He sees value in you. He has a destiny for you. He has potential for you. He has limitless possibilities for you. And so eventually she became Queen Esther. And Queen Esther would go on to change the whole Persian empire. She would be the queen that changed everything. But Queen Esther had to be obedient to go through the process. Everybody say process. She was a leader who was under control. She was a leader who prepared for her future with humility and with honor. Can you do that? Can you prepare for your future in humility? Like, I remember when God began to speak to me, right when my father passed, Paul, you're going to one day pastor the Church of Victory, but in the meantime, I want you to just say yes to whatever your mom needs. Just serve her. Serve your mom. Serve the staff members. Serve Pastor Bruce. Just do whatever is necessary. Prepare in humility for your future. And I remember just going through this process where whatever was, ne whatever was needed, I just said yes. That's what Esther was doing. Whatever is needed, just say yes. Just say yes. On the other side of your yes, God has so much more opportunities. If you'll just show up, if you'll just be present. And then she didn't let her position steal her compassion. This is the kind of leader that Esther was. Even when she got promoted, she still remembered who she was and the people she was related to. She remembered the compassion that was shown to her from Mordecai, and she would pass that compassion on to those around her. Thirdly, she was self-aware, not self-consumed. That's a word for a selfie generation. We are constantly so consumed with ourselves. But Esther, she understood who she was. She recognized her place in the organization. She knew, you know, I can't go to the king unless I'm called by the king. We're gonna find out later on that Esther, she walked in, in honor and authority. She recognized who she was but she was not consumed with herself. Rather, she was consumed with a cause, a commission from God. Fourthly, she felt the need to fast and pray. This is the secret sauce to leadership in the book of Esther. What would give Esther courage and confidence and boldness and hope was when she took time to fast and pray. And there are certain things that will not come out of your life unless you fast and pray. There are certain breakthroughs that will not happen unless you get in the secret place and spend time with God. Can I tell you something about Esther? In Esther chapter 2, it says to prepare for her night with the king, she spent six months soaking in oil. Six months soaking in oil and then six more months soaking in the fragrance and the perfumes to prepare for her destiny. You know what that says to me is when we come into church, when we get in God's presence, when we are in prayer, when we're in our Bible, we are soaking in the word of God. Some of us have delegated the soaking to a Sunday morning service. 
And if, if I'm really honest, a Sunday morning service is a squirt gun. Someday I'm going to bring my squirt gun to church as an illustration and just go, this is what you got today. I'm not putting myself down. I'm just saying if you really want to soak, spend personal time in the word of God. Spend personal time in prayer. Have a personal, get your own God. Get, what am I saying? When I say get your own God, I'm saying stop writing off the God of your pastor or the God of your parents. You need to have a personal relationship with your God. Yahweh wants you to know him and he wants you to spend time with him and he wants you to get in the word. And when Esther was soaking in the oil and soaking in the perfume, she was preparing herself for her future. This queen that would change everything understood the power of preparation, that preparation time is never wasted time. Fifthly, she depended on the prayer of others. We would go on to find out that Esther was a team player. She wasn't just someone who said, you know, I could do this all by myself. She said, Mordecai, I need your help. And I need you to get our family members, get our friends, get everyone you know to pray for me. She depended on I just want to give a shout out to all the staff and volunteers. If you serve on staff here or you're a volunteer here, would you stand up? Or if you're just someone who gives into this house on a regular basis, would you stand up? I want to honor all those who pray for us, all those who serve in this church, all those who bring the dream about to reach teenagers, to reach kids, to be a connect group leader, to give so that we can continue to reach the nations and reach. Yeah, give, it, give these guys a big hand. These are the unsung heroes in the back, behind the cameras, behind the stage out here, out in the parking lot, out in the lobby. You guys are making a difference. I need you. God needs you. Don't ever forget how valuable your place is. Esther recognized, I can't do this without others. She was willing to take a risk. She would go on to obey God. She didn't take advantage of the generosity that was offered her. And she recognized the importance of timing. That's who Queen Esther was. Now, the third character to look at in this story is King Xerxes. King Xerxes. However you picture King Xerxes, I have, a, I have a couple pictures. I have another picture. This is my other picture of King Xerxes. Now, let me tell you something about this king. He wasn't a bad king. Even though he was a secular king, he wasn't evil. He was just easily persuadable. Depending on who was talking to him, they could get him to sign things that would affect the entire nation. The enemy is in no hurry to destroy you if he can just distract you. Because a distracted king is an ineffective king. A distracted mother is an ineffective mother. Sure, you need the credit card? Go ahead. I'm just I'm watching The Bachelor right now. Sure, you want to go do that? See, the king was so distracted that he was affecting entire people groups, not even realizing it. And what we find out is the same king who was persuaded to do something evil would also be persuaded to change his mind, change his plans, and do something good to save a nation. The fourth character to pay attention to in this story is Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti, once again, she was the queen who wouldn't show up. She was the queen who refused to be told what to do. She didn't show up. And because she didn't show up, she lost everything. Whether you like it or not, it's in the Bible. And I'm going to preach off of it if it's in the Bible. Queen Vashti lost her royal position because she didn't feel like showing up. Let me say something here that Holy Spirit helped me say this right. Some of you have lost people in your life, not because you did anything wrong, but because they refused to show up. 
And you feel like maybe it's the end. And God says, I have a Queen Esther that's coming. I have a restored relationship. I have a fresh new season for you. Just because she wouldn't show up doesn't mean I don't have an Esther in the waiting. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Number five, let's get to the fifth character here. Fifth character, Haman. This guy, this guy right here. Don't be this guy. Haman. I think we got another picture of Haman, too. Yeah, that guy, too. That's the cartoon Haman. Let me tell you something about Haman. He was devious. Haman was like Hitler in 1941. He was Nazi Germany. He hated the Jews. And he wanted to annihilate them. So in Esther chapter 2, actually, let let me say something about Haman here. Number one, he misunderstood the times. He lost joy over little things. If you're someone who just gets frustrated over little things, you're walking in the footsteps of Haman. Number three, he needed friends to build his self-image. In fact, he would force people to bow down to him. You better bow down. You better bow down. Fourthly, his greed and his selfish ambition made him constantly unhappy. Greed never leads to happiness. Selfishness never leads to contentment. And so in Esther chapter 2, she goes before the king. It says the king uh, loved Esther more than anyone else. She found favor with the king, and she became the next queen. So she replaced Queen Vashti. Here, Queen Esther is elevated to her promotion. Anytime God gets ready to elevate you, he's probably going to introduce you to an enemy as well. Anytime God gets ready to promote you, he might also be preparing to introduce you to a Haman in your life. Because every time there's a dream, there's always a scheme that the enemy's going to bring against the dream. If you're a dreamer in the room, there's a schemer that's coming after you. He will try to stop you. The, the enemy in John 10 verse 10, he is the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what Haman was going to do. He was going to kill, steal, and destroy the Jewish Uh, race. He was going to wipe out any plan for a Messiah down the road. But I'm so glad that even though God's name isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, God was still on the throne and he was setting Esther up to bring deliverance for the Jewish people. So watch this. Mordecai finds out about a plan of two guys that want to kill the king. He tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the king saves him his life, finds out who these guys are that are trying to take him out, gets rid of those staff members. So then Mordecai is like, hey, that was me. I helped you out. The king doesn't honor Mordecai. Instead, he honors Haman. He elevates Haman, gives Haman a a promotion. Have you ever done something good and you didn't get promoted and someone else got promoted that you know should not have gotten promoted? Yeah. But here's the good news. God still sees you and God still has a reward for the integrity that you're walking in. God sees the little things, the little obedience you show. So watch this. In Esther chapter 3, after these things, Haman is riding on his high horse. People are bowing down to him except, verse 2, but Mordecai would not bend his knee. Mordecai would not bow or pay homage to Haman. Why? Because Mordecai could respect him, but he would only bow to one king. I am not compromising my convictions to bow to this guy when I know I'm called to only bow before the great I am. That's how Mordecai lived. We need more Mordecais that will live with the moral conviction that I am not compromising who God has called me to be and what God has called me to do. All right, so here Mordecai doesn't bow down. And guess what Haman does? He gets angry, but instead of killing Mordecai, he asks his servants, he goes, who's Mordecai related to? Who who is this Mordecai? They said, he's a Jew. And Haman begins the birthing of a dream. Not every dream is from God. 
In fact, if you study what happened in Nazi Germany from 1920 to 1945, they would almost call it Hitler's birthing of a dream, that he would prepare to annihilate boys and girls, moms and dads, a holocaust. This is what Haman was preparing. He was preparing a holocaust because he had hatred in his heart. If you don't deal with hatred in your heart, it will lead to murderous consequences in your life. The ultimate act of hatred is murder. That's why the second you sniff hatred in your heart towards a person, bring it to the altar. Ask God to renew and cleanse you of any hatred. For Haman, he didn't do it. He was a, he was a leader who was out of control. He was out of control. He was not under control. He was not in control. He was out of control. His insecurities, his threats led him to become a Hitler in his time. And so he brought a letter to the king. He said, would you sign this? There's some people in our land that are different than us. This was the rhetoric he started to use with the king. He said, they're different than us, their laws, their customs, how they act, how they look. And um, we need to do something about it and in fine print, annihilate them all on the same day. The king's distracted. Now, how much money are you going to give me for this? I'll give you, by the way, the scholars believe Haman was wealthier than King Xerxes. So he was second in command. He was manipulative and he used his money to get his agenda across. Be careful when people try to pay you to get what they want across. This pulpit is not for sale. It's not up for prostitution. God directs the plans of this house. Listen, there will be people who try to buy their agenda in your life. And the king was bought at a price. He signed the papers, not realizing he was signing a death sentence for his wife. Oh, that's right. Her name was Esther in the Persian Empire, but her original name was Hadassah. That was her Hebrew name. That was the name she was born with because she was a Jew. And Mordecai said, don't tell anyone who you really are. The time will come when it will be ready for you to be revealed. Hadassah means hidden. Some of you have been hidden in this church, and it's because God's getting ready to reveal you for such a time as this. Some of you have been hidden in your company. You've been hidden in plain sight, and God says, I've been hiding you for a purpose for such a time as this. Hadassah was hidden, but God had her right where he wanted her. He had removed Vashti and he had placed Esther there. And so they sent out the couriers in verse 15 of Esther chapter 3. And after they sent out the couriers, they went out to the streets and announced the Holocaust was coming. And when Haman and the king sat down to have a drink, the whole city was mourning and perplexed. While you're having a drink at your house, there are kids that are mourning in the state of Oklahoma. Foster kids mourning for a parent to adopt them. While we sit down in our nice church today, there are thousands of other churches around the world that are weeping and crying out for deliverance. This is why we've got to have a heart for the nations. This is why we've got to build water wells. This is why we've got to build orphanages. This is why we've got to keep doing missions trips. This is why we've got to go to Brazil and Cambodia and China and Iraq and Iran and go to Russia. And we've got to go to Norway and we've got to go down to Honduras and Guatemala and Puerto Rico. Why? Because there's people who are affected in worse conditions than we are. And we cannot lose our compassion just because we've been given a promotion to live in this nation where we can worship freely and we can gather together in this building. We are committed to the Great Commission. So here they are. They're mourning. They're perplexed. The city's crying. When Mordecai learns about this in verse 1 of chapter 4, he tears his clothes. And the same guy who was pacing in front of the palace confidently is now walking in front of the palace. And he's weeping. No! No! And 
I love the leader that Mordecai was. When's the last time you cried for people? When's the last time you cried for people? Mordecai would weep, not for his life, not for Esther's life, but for the entire Jewish nation. No! On Friday, my son came home and he was wearing a a crown on his head. And it said, I have a dream. I said, Liam, tell me about that crown. He said, Daddy, we learned about the king today. I said, the king? He said, yeah, Dr. King. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. See, not all kings wear crowns. Not all kings sit on thrones. Some kings shout from the Lincoln Memorial. Some kings wail in front of the palace, pleading for their people. I said, tell me about Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, Daddy, he was a king that stood for something. He stood for something. I said, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. He said, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his dream was that one day his little boy and girl would sit down with another boy and girl and they wouldn't judge each other by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I'm like crying as I'm listening to my son. I said, that's right, Liam. And immediately I knew I've got to preach on Esther. And it falls on this weekend. I was not even planning on it, but it falls on this weekend. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was like Mordecai. He was weeping on behalf of his people. Can we honor Dr. King right now in this service? Our kids have a whole day of school off on Monday because a man took a stand that everybody's equal, everybody's valuable, no matter what they look like, no matter what the color of their skin is, everybody deserves dignity and honor and value. And our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And the most persistent question he asked is, what will you do for others? He said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Going to the next one. The time is always right to do what is right. Oh, that's what Mordecai would tell Esther. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? If your dream is only about you living in a bigger house and driving a nicer car, it's not a God dream. You need a God dream. A God dream is about helping others walk in victory. A God dream is bigger than you. A God dream requires a God team. You could take a seat. I'm almost done. So Esther asks Mordecai, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And he sends a letter to Esther. He said, have you not heard the report? A holocaust is coming. And don't think that it won't touch you. Remember who you are, Hadassah. Remember who you are. You can change your name, but you can't change your DNA. Some of you have kids that aren't in church right now, grandkids that have wandered off from God. They might have changed their name. They might have changed their gender. They might have changed their sexual preference, but they cannot change their DNA. They are a child of God. God is not finished with them yet, and they're coming back into the palace for such a time as this. They're about to wake up in 2020 to who they are in Christ. So Mordecai says, Esther, you know who you are, and you know what you got to do. And he tells her in verse 9, go to the king. Go and plead on behalf of the people. So Esther tells Mordecai, I can't do it. She said, I've not been called by the king. And anyone who approaches the inner court of the king, if they go inside the inner court, they will be killed immediately unless the king holds out his scepter. 
She said, I can't go. I've not been called. Just because you haven't been called by a human king does not mean that you have not been called by a heavenly king. Just because your boss hasn't called you, just because your kids haven't called you, does not mean that God has not called you to be a parent in those kids' lives. Some of us are waiting for a human approval when God has already given us the full stamp that we need to do what he's called us to do. He says, I've already called you. I've commissioned you for such a time as this. Watch what Mordecai says in verse 13. He writes back to Esther. He says, um, do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, at this time, at this time, at this time, 2020, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. Now, Mordecai is reminding Esther of Vashti. He's saying, if you don't show up, God will find another Esther who will. If you refuse to show up for the king of kings, if you refuse, God will find someone else to write the book. God will find some. You know what Oral Roberts said? He said, I was the third person God picked to build this university. God told me, you're not even my first choice. <laughs> he said, but I was okay with it because I was the first one to say yes. You might be the fourth person God's been trying to get a hold of in your family line to finally break the generational curse of that alcohol addiction. But it's time to show up. It's time to show up. You might be the first person in your family to graduate college. You might be the first person to start the business that God's been trying four other guys to start for the last 50 years. You might be the first person to run for that elected official office. But, but the, the question is, will you show up? What he was saying here is relief is going to happen. Deliverance will gonna, is going to happen. But you will miss out on the story God's trying to write here. You and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Such a time as 2020. Such a time as right here and right now. And so Esther allowed that to sink in. Just allow that to sink in. You have been called to the kingdom. You have been called to Victory Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for such a time as this. God needs you. I need you. Some of you in this room, you will go on to do incredible things, extraordinary things. And you say, I don't know how God could use me. I'm just an orphan. I was just adopted by someone. I didn't come from a wealthy family. Neither did Esther. In fact, Moses was born to a, a poor Jewish family and then adopted by a royal family. Most of the people God used in the Bible, they didn't come from the wealthiest or the easiest background. But God still used them in spite of all the pain and the problems they went through. Here's why you and I need to have a God dream in 2020. Here's why you and I need to get a God dream in our life. God's dream gives life to something that was once dead or dormant. What Mordecai was trying to do for Esther is he was trying to give her a God dream. That's the best thing you can get. The best gift you can get is not a new car, not a pony for your birthday. It's a God dream. Mordecai was saying, this dream will give you boldness to be who God made you to be. This dream will give you purpose for the pain that you have to walk through. This dream will give creativity to supersede the circumstances you're in. This dream will give power to overcome the enemy's schemes. And this dream, this dream will give hope during the hollow, slow, and difficult days. This dream will give fresh fire to work harder, to go further, to run faster than ever before. This is why you need a fresh dream this day. This is why you need a 2020 dream. God's dream will give value to his unique calling on your life. God's dream will give provision to you and through you. And God's dream will help other people to walk in victory. Can I tell you something? Esther caught the God dream. She caught it. And watch what she says in, in, in Esther chapter 4. She wraps this up as she responds to Mordecai. She says, okay, 
Have all the people fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I will fast as well. We will fast and pray. And so I will go to the king. The difference between a dream and a destiny is a due date. Have you put it on the calendar? Esther said, I will go. I'm going to stop dreaming about it. When I was dating Ashley, I used to go, man, she's going to be my wife. I've been dreaming about it. I've been dreaming about it. And finally, my dad was like, why don't you do something about the dream? I was like, okay, pops. All right, dad. I didn't call him pops. All right, dad. Pastor dad. And we put it on the calendar. We got married. But you know what? The dream is just a dream until there's a due date on the dream. She said, I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther is a shadow of Jesus. Jesus went on behalf of you and I to plead for you and I to stand in the gap like a lamb to the slaughter who was slain for the salvation of the world. He didn't just save the Jewish race. He saved the Gentiles. He saved white and black and Asian and Hispanic and Native American, every tribe, every tongue, every every person in the whole world. Jesus said, I'm standing on behalf of you. I'm going for you. And Esther would go on behalf of her people, knowing that she was risking her life. And Esther 5, verse 1, after she had prayed and fasted, it says, So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robe. Oh, I love this. This is what it's like when we come into God's presence. He doesn't see you as a dirty girl, a dirty boy. He sees you clothed in robes of righteousness. He looks at you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Just imagine Esther. She's not hurried. She's not anxious. She's not nervous. She's walking confidently. She's not who she once was. She's changed over the years. She's grown some courage, some boldness from fasting and prayer. She knows what she's got to do, and she's pacing herself. She's not running in there desperate, screaming at the king. She's not entitled to anything. God has given her everything she needs. So she walks confidently. And she stands in the inner court. And Hebrews 4 says, let us approach God's throne room of grace with confidence to obtain favor in our time of need. The king lifts out his scepter and says, come on in, Esther. The king asks Esther, what do you want? Ask me for anything. Half the kingdom is yours. I hear God saying that to his sons and daughters today. What do you want, victory? Ask me for the nations. Ask me for Tulsa. Ask me for another campus. Ask me for another dream. The nations are yours. The islands are yours. We serve a God who cares about the dreams in our hearts. Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. My question is, are you delighting yourself in the presence of God? For Esther, she was delighted to be in his presence. She wasn't rushing out. She wasn't like, I got to get to Applebee's. Let's make this quick. (laughs) She was like, I'm here. I just want to be with you. The king said, okay. Next day went on. I'm going to wrap this up for you because I can't leave you hanging. I got to finish this story. Can you guys hang for five more minutes? This is so powerful. If you can't, you're going to miss out, but I love you still. Still welcome back. (laughs) Let me tell you what happens next. Haman is invited to this banquet that Esther throws for the king and Haman. And he feels so honored. He walks out of the banquet. He says, I'm so wealthy, but I got to kill Mordecai. His wife said, why don't you build a 50-foot gallow and hang Mordecai in front of everyone? So he builds this 50-foot gallow. In the next chapter, in Esther chapter 6, the king can't sleep at night. He's pacing through the night. 
The Lord won't let him sleep until he blesses Mordecai. God's going to cause your enemies to not even be able to sleep until they pay back everything they've stolen from you. God's about to restore Mordecai in 2020. God's about to make all things work together for your good. What the enemy meant for harm, the king said, what did we do for Mordecai when he delivered me from the plot in Esther chapter 2? What did we do for him? They said nothing. He said, is there anyone in the palace right now that I can use to go and help Mordecai? They said, Haman's out there. He says, Haman, come on in here. Hey, Haman, what would you do for someone that you really wanted to honor? Someone who was really special. Someone who's just royal. Haman thought he was talking about himself. He goes, oh, I'd put him on a horse. I'd put a robe on him, put a crown on his head. I'd give him money. I'd walk him in front of all the people and have everybody give him honor. And he said, that's good, Haman. Go do that for Mordecai right now. Come on, somebody. It. I love it. I just imagine, what if this, what, just imagine if Hitler had to walk down the road with a Jewish family, with Anne Frank and her whole family. What, what if he had to walk down and put them on his high horse and feed? God's about to set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. The people who've been against you, the people who've been talking bad about you, God says, I'm going to cause them to not be able to sleep at night. I remember when someone stole from me and my dad said, let's pray that they won't even be able to sleep at night until they pay you back. Sure enough, they brought back what they had stolen from me and they said, I couldn't even sleep without getting this back to you. God's about to restore Store what the enemies tried to steal from you in the past few years. So here Mordecai is blessed and he's honored, and yet the plan hasn't changed. The scheme is still in place. And so in Esther chapter 7, the king is before the queen again. He says, what do you want, Esther? Ask me for anything. She says, you call me Esther, but my name is Hadassah. The king is shocked. She said, I am a Jewish girl. And that man you've seen out in front of the palace, Mordecai, he is a father to me. Because my parents died. He adopted me. And she said, there's a plan you have in place to kill all the Jews in our entire nation. Millions of Jews are going to die on this specific day. There's an annihilation. A holocaust is coming. And you signed off on it when you were distracted. He said, what? Who would do such a thing? In this moment, Haman's in the room. She said, that guy over there. Haman starts irking back in his seat. Don't hurt me. And the king said, didn't you just build a gallow to hang Mordecai? God's about to reverse the curse that was meant for you to go back. Come on. God's about to turn things around. Stand up on your feet. Here's the beautiful thing about this story is that God delivers Esther, delivers Mordecai, delivers the entire Jewish nation and promotes Mordecai. So Mordecai ends up with the royal position that Haman once had. Don't you doubt that God does have your back. God is looking out for you. He's got your back. He's looking out for your future. He's planning a great destiny on your life. He sees the value on you. He sees what you've done that no one else sees, and he has rewards for you. He's not forgotten about you. He wants to promote you. He wants you to be a leader for such a time as this, and I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes all over this room, and I want you to just imagine that you're standing before the king of kings. And he's sitting on the throne, and he's so happy that you came to church. He's so happy that you're in his presence. And you may not feel good enough right now. You might feel dirty. You might feel weary. You might feel tired. You might feel insecure. You might be comparing yourself to every other person out there. I'm sure Esther had to deal with the comparison trap. I'm sure Mordecai had to deal with comparison. But God sees you, and he says, I love you. Ask me for anything. 
I just hear the king saying that today. Ask me. Bring your secret petitions before the Lord. Come as you are. You are royalty. You have a calling on your life. I know they forgot about you, but I didn't forget about you. I just hear the king just affirming his sons and daughters today. And he's saying, I see so much more than you see inside yourself. Stop looking to the left or to the right. Stop comparing yourself to him, to her. I have a calling for them, but I also have a calling for you. And I have value on your life. And I have a dream that's bigger than you. God says there's people whose lives are going to be saved because of your obedience. If you follow this dream, it'll change everything, not just for you, not just for your family, but for your neighborhood, your community. God's going to use some of you to bring prayer back into certain schools. God's going to use some of you to change neighborhoods. He's going to use some of you to to bring uh, uh, people out of poverty. He's going to use some of you to lead the captives into freedom. And he's looking for anyone who says, God, give me that dream. God, help me to live for that dream. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now, and you have needs in your life, dreams in your life, or maybe you just need God to drop a God dream in your heart. You need God to just breathe fresh fire, fresh hope, fresh courage on that dream that you placed on the shelf. I want you to just leave your seat like Esther. I want you to just come to this altar. Just bring it to the altar. Bring your petition to the altar. Maybe your dream in this room is that you would be able to pay for some mission trips this year. Maybe your dream this year is just to be able to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's to get married this year. Maybe it's to have children. You've, you've been barren and the doctor said it could never happen. But your dream this year, if you need a dream or you have a dream, I want you to come down to this altar today. Because today I hear the king saying, I want to affirm the dream that I put in your heart. I want to breathe fresh hope on that dream. I want to breathe fresh courage into your soul. I want to help you to fulfill that dream this year. I want to give you a due date for your destiny this year. There's more of you today. God's stirring in your heart. How many of God's stirring in your heart to do something this year that's bigger than you? It's bigger than you. Some of you, God, God's saying, I want to use you um, to help bring freedom to those who are caught in child trafficking. God's saying, I, I want to use you to serve at the Dream Center this year. I want to use you this year, your whole family. We're going to do a dream together, and you're going to bless other families in the city. You're going to bring groceries to those who are hungry. You're going to go into the prisons, and you're going to preach the gospel. God's saying, I'm going to use you to go on the missions field. You're going to be a missionary to this nation. You're going to save this group of people. See, God's wanting to pick some new Esthers in the room. He's wanting to pick some Mordecais in the room to say, I want you to just be faithful behind the scenes. Just be faithful behind the scenes. Just keep on praying, keep on serving, and keep bringing encouragement. And you're going to train up generations that will know their God and that will bring glory to their God. Secondly, you're here today and you say, I'm not right with God, but I need to get right with God. You could come and join us today. You are royalty. You're invited into his family. If you're here today and you say, man, I just need to surrender. I need to repent. I've been in sin and I need God's grace. The good news is God wants to give it to you today as a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do something to get it. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you just need grace, you need Jesus, you need salvation. Come as you are. Can we cheer on brave men, brave women that are coming to the altar? right now saying that's me I'm a sinner and I need a savior every saint has a past and every sinner has a future all of us in this room that are saved we all know what it was like we all know what we've walked through the pain we've walked through the the salvation we needed the forgiveness and every sinner in the room that's wondering does God have a future for me he does he does 
Just like God used Esther to change King Xerxes' heart, God's using this sermon today to change some of your hearts. To say, you planned evil, but I'm about to change it for good. You've been following a path of addictions in your family, but I'm about to break a generational curse. I sense that right now, that this is a year for generational curses to be broken in families. This is a year for freedom in families from generational curses of whatever it is. It could be just a generational, it could be just anger has been in your family for a long time. Maybe you, you grew up in a home where it was just constant anger, constant violence, constant yelling and strifefulness. That does not have to continue in 2020. God wants to set your home in order with peace and with love and with kindness. He's going to break that curse of anger and strife off your home. For some of you, you grew up in a home where there was just dishonesty. Everyone was lying to each other. No one was being honest with each other. Today, I just hear God saying, I want to set things in order in your home. We're going to bring truthfulness. We're going to bring a place of integrity, honesty in Jesus' name, freedom for those who've been in bondage. Down here at this altar, just close your eyes and hold your hands out like a cup. I just see God wanting to drop a dream in your heart. I hear God saying, I want to satisfy you as you delight yourself in the presence of God, as you enjoy the presence of God. He says, I'm going to grant you the desires of your heart. He cares about the little things. He cares about the car that you drive, the house you live in. He cares about helping you pay off that mission strip this year. He cares about you marrying that person. He cares about you having kids. He cares about you being able to bless other people around you. He cares about you having a mentor in your life. Some of you are just saying, all I want is a Mordecai, just someone who cares. I just need someone who mentors me. God says, I see you. I see your dream. I see your petitions. I see what you've been asking for. God sees you. Many nights I would be in this church when no one was here, just weeping about the future of our church. Just weeping after my father passed. I would come in here and I would just cry. And I'd say, God, I'm contending that the best days are still in front of us. I'm contending that you're not done with us yet. I'd watch my mom. She would weep on behalf of the future of the church. And today I look out and I see God is faithful. God is faithful. Some of you are weeping on behalf of your future. On your Friday nights, you've been all alone. You've been in the prayer closet. You, you weren't invited to hang out with the friends. You've been by yourself. But God says, I hear your tears. I hear your prayers. I hear your cries. I see what you're going through. And I've got a plan for you. I've not forgotten about you. I have plans to give you hope and a future, to prosper you, to give you the desires of your hearts. Lord, I pray for all my friends in the room that are believing to get married this year, that are believing to find the right person. And God, I am serious about this. Lord, I am, I am praying on their behalf. God, bring the right person into their life. Shut the doors on the wrong person and open the doors for the right person. And God, I pray that you would deliver anyone who's in a toxic situation right now. I pray, God, for deliverance. I pray for an Esther generation to rise up. Women who fear the Lord and who are ready to walk in the courage and boldness to lead nations, to lead people groups. And I thank you, Jesus, for the Mordecai generation, that you've got men and women in their latter years that are about to experience their greatest promotions yet. God, that in their latter years, they will find the greatest fulfillment helping the Esthers in their life. In Jesus' name. Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus. I'm all yours. Use my life for your glory. 
have your way in me and through me. I delight in your presence and I believe that you will grant the desires of my heart. So I bring my prayers to you. I bring my dreams to you. Do what you want to do. Not my will, but your will be done. And I will obey. And I repent of sin. And I receive your righteousness, your grace, your peace. And I believe my best days are right in front of me. And I will have victory because Jesus lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Victory.